everyone. Welcome to Movie Films with Bill and Steve. I'm Steve. And I'm Bill. Movies talk, so let's talk movies. Let's talk those movies. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, in the past couple weeks, I've kind of been like, hey, WizKids, Heroclix, I don't really give a shit. You got nothing coming out for me in the next five months that I care about, so I'm just going to go over to Fantasy Flight and their X-Wing Miniatures game because they've released the Scum and Villainy expansion, which adds uh, Bounty Hunters as a faction to the game, Ooh. which before that only had the Imperials and Rebels. Uh, so I started picking that up, and I played a couple, a game, and I kind of knew how to play it beforehand, um, and I love it. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Fantasy Fight doesn't treat their customers like big piggy banks, uh, okay. like WizKids does. Um, compared to, like, let's say, um, Fantasy Fight for the X-Wing game, I think, releases maybe, maybe, I, I'm going to guesstimate, because I, I don't know, if, I think it may be 10 to 12 ships a year, so every, okay. like, maybe every six months, a couple new, like, like, maybe six or seven new ships come out. That are about fifteen dollars, anywhere from fifteen to thirty dollars a piece. Uh, meanwhile, uh, WizKids for their Star Trek game that uses the same kind of engine, like combat engine that the X Wing game uses, uh, they release uh, three to four ships a month at fifteen dollars a piece. Oh wow! Yeah, I have some friends who play the Star Trek game, and they uh, don't have many kind things to say about it. <laughs> Just the general amount of product that's released and how uh, how they go about it. Yeah, that sounds pretty shitty. Yeah, kind of is, kind of is. So. So that's, that's that. I'm having fun. I'm just uh, really getting balls deep into X-Wing. Fantastic. So that's that. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, um, no real news since uh, last episode. You know, it's kind of taking a break after the convention and selling all those movies. Uh, notice that Red Christmas has actually gotten a few sales on uh, through the website. Uh, that's good. Through, the, like, the Kanaki order page, which means yeah. I don't see, like, the money until the following month. So apparently two people bought it in February. Thanks, guys. Nice. <laughs> couple late christmas gifts for some friends i know so uh, uh just trying to pimp it out a bit more uh cinema wasteland sold my booth to someone else because they sent them the money first and instead of just saying no they let that happen huh that's kind of dickish yeah I, I don't that's weird so uh like uh i got the email saying that they accidentally left the link up to order booths and someone uh paypal'd them the money with a note saying like hope that i remembered to tell you that i wanted a booth so they gave them the booth and they were just like, yeah, sorry about this. It's just a situation we've never been in. Uh, but someone might cancel. So if they do, you can get a booth again. And I'm just like, maybe you should have just given that guy's money back. Yeah. Um, and said, uh, sorry, no. Uh, booths were uh, booths were full. We just forgot to take this link down. Yeah. That's kind of weird. From so, what I know of Ken, that, I, I don't know why he'd do that. But, yes. But, but, and I don't know him super personally. I've talked to him a couple times at the, when I was at the last one I was at. And I've heard him on... on uh, Pete Chirilla's, uh 42nd Street Pete podcast. So he seems like a cool guy, but that, I don't know. It seems kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've chatted with uh, Ken before, too. But, yeah, kind of just seemed dickish. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. May, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're hard up for money because it's a pretty small convention at a pretty small hotel, and they seem to get enough people coming through, so I don't I don't know if it's a money thing or... Well, no, I mean, that booth was going to sell anyway, even if, like, I so happened to... If I so happened to be a dick and went, like, oh, never mind, I don't want it now, like, the following week... They could have easily said, hey, we have a booth available, and someone would have gotten it. I know, but I, I don't know if it's like like they need that money now or something. It seems oh, weird. like right now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe they just don't go through the hassle of refunding it or something. I don't know. There could be some stuff there, but on the surface, it seems kind of dickish. Yeah, so uh, I'll know by the end of this week or next week whether or not uh, that special guest cancels and I get his booth. Yeah. Uh, so if so, I will be uh, a guest at Cinema Wasteland. If not... Um, I guess I'm just gonna relax at home, or maybe see if, uh, the shitty little flea market called Steel City Con has a booth available, because it's the same weekend. Oh, is that, is that not a very good convention? Honestly, compared to what Pittsburgh Comic Con was before Wizard World bought Pittsburgh Comic Con now, Steel City Con started off as a shitty little flea market, and in, like, the past four years, whoever runs it has been trying really hard to get a lot of really cool media guests and a lot of new feet in the door, and it's grown into more of, like, a pop culture con. Cool, so it's kind of growing in size, kind of like C2E2 started in Chicago being kind of a small thing, and now it's really kind of blossomed over the last couple of years. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a great show or anything like that, but compared to Pittsburgh Comic Con, it was it was better than Pittsburgh Comic Con, which shouldn't be a, shouldn't have happened. But that's just, that's a testament to not only how badly Pittsburgh Comic Con w was run, but also how much effort the guy who runs Steel City has put into it. Yeah, and you can say the same thing about some of the big horror cons. Like, I know a lot of people, I mean, I've only been to wasteland once but my experience there is good um but i know a lot of people talk about wasteland saying that's great but they go with things like horror hound or some of the other 
horror conventions, which are nothing but you know autograph ripoff shows, mm-hmm. like the whole. Um, I think you need Jamie a balance. Curtis issue and stuff. And I think uh, what's important is a balance with conventions because there's there's too many people I feel that act like. There's too many people that think a show that have no autographs is worthless, and then there's people that think that a show that is nothing but autographs is worthless. Um, and I feel that both of those are very true. You need you need the media guests to get feet in the door, but you need to not have so many media guests that people are spending all their money on autographs and then not looking at the vendor booths at all. Yeah, because I, I think vendor booths are very very crucial for a convention. Yeah, so uh, I honestly... Horror Realm is honestly my favorite small show to do. Cool. They've, they've always treated me well, but they've also run it very intelligently where they always try to get like two somewhat major media guests and then a couple smaller media guests and that's it Mm -hmm. so it's not just all underground actor type deals you know like this year there was tony todd you know who's the fucking candy man um and they had uh derek mears who you may know or you may not know and you know he was jason Voorhees in the remake and he's been in like a lot of tv shows and shit and there was those were the more major ones, and then they also had like the guy who was who's been in a lot of small roles in horror films, but he was the guy who has tongue cut out in the Children Under the Stairs, the people under the stairs. Okay. Uh, so he was like the smaller, but also major media guest, and a couple people like that. Yeah. And that balances it, in my opinion, and that's what Horror Realm basically does every year. Like, oh, okay, last year they had uh, Kevin Ogre from Skinny Puppy, and also Heather Langenkamp. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know. That's cool. So it's just a few few people to get feet in the door, but the rest of it's kind of it's a, but yeah. Horror Realm sounds like a much smaller convention too. It is, which I've I've meant so I'm not 100 percent like familiar with its scope. And it's size, definitely so. a, it's definitely small. It's about the same size as Wasteland. I'd say. Okay, yeah, but it's, it's growing, cool. and I appreciate that. Uh, that's yeah. the that's the only criticism that I have with Wasteland is that it does not have any interest in growing. Ken yeah, does not want to grow, end. and they just want, they want to stay in that Holiday Inn. They never want to invite any mainstream guests at all ever. And that's well, fine. It's their show, but I do feel that eventually, that that's causing only the same people to come see the show every year. Yeah, it's not, and, not a lot of growth. Yeah. So as I I know that that hurts vendors, and eventually it's just going to get to the point where all those people that were going to see the show are literally just dead now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there's no one else. Yeah, I guess it depends. I know. Um, obviously, this is before Walking Dead really broke. Like they used to get Michael Rooker and things like that, but. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they, it, Michael Rooker, even though he's made his entire career on being B-movie schlock stuff, now he can just go to ma- major conventions, make good money just doing that. Mm-hmm. Which is good for him. Michael, And now, obviously, he's Yondu and um, Guardians of the Galaxy, because mm-hmm. James Gunn likes putting Michael Rooker in all of his movies. <laughs> he really likes to do that. Hey, good. Good on Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker, even though he's super like, big now because of Walking Dead and that, he's still, like, su- he's just still Michael Rooker. He's still just a guy. Yeah, he's absolutely. still Hen- he's still Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, you know. So mm-hmm. he's st- he's still just you know that that you know guy who cu- I think that's true of a lot of actors who cut their teeth just doing super small like in like uh, indie um like B movie C movie like schlock stuff is their entire career and then like later in life break it and make it make it big in something mm-hmm. like they're still super humble and super cool guys. Yeah, it's fantastic when that happens. Yeah. So. so let's move on to some movie news. Movie news. Uh, <laughs> hey, Tumblr people, time to get upset. If <laughs> if you took if it, here's a Twinkie. By my latest readings, if you took all the butthurt of all the people on Tumblr and Twitter about the readings about the the all male Ghostbusters coming up, it would the the Twinkie would be four hundred and thirty seven pounds and approximately twenty feet long. I think that's right. I that's don't know. a that's a big Twinkie. You're definitely you're definitely right on the twenty feet long. Okay, I think I think four hundred thirty-seven pounds. I don't know. Whatever. Everyone's upset for some reason because apparently Sony's also looking into making an all-male Ghostbusters. I don't think it's quite to compete with Paul Feig's all-female Ghostbusters. I don't know what. I obviously details are still kind of you know being worked out, but it looks like currently Channing Tatum is uh, for the most part only in there for producing it. There's nothing said about him acting in it, which, given his more recent stuff, I, I think he's been getting a lot better as an actor, especially in comedy films. And I think, he's amazing in comedy films. I think he could work really well in Ghostbusters. I know some of you are kind of getting pissy saying he's too jacked to play Ghostbuster, but who's to say that that's not that? Why, hey, who's to say I, that's the case? Why not? Why can't he? Yeah, I mean, Winston Zeddemore was former military. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, theoretically, Winston Zeddemore could have been jacked to shit. We just didn't see him out He didn't need to be. Of, yeah. But it's not like, oh, you're too buff to carry this heavy proton pack. Yeah, you don't have to be Dan Aykroyd. 
but uh, part of this, it looks like Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Eiderman are also on hand, are going to be a part of it, producing it. Uh, that's from obviously details are kind of all over the place, but that's what it's looking like. Um, so Dan Aykroyd being involved, I think, is really important to me. I know some people are still getting jumping on his shit, saying like, "Oh, so he thinks." I, I don't know. I don't know if people are may attack him. But I, I kind of heard it put this way, like, so Dan, Ghostbusters is Dan Aykroyd, and I think me and Steve both agree on that. Absolutely. And I think he saw the female Ghostbusters film as it, like, the project being taken away from him. Yes, and, and so I, he, that's how I took it too, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's. I think that's nothing wrong with that. I think yeah, this is Ghostbusters is him, like, because he's super into paranormal stuff. He has his entire family, several generations back, were. And so, go, and I think it's silly to say that Ghostbusters is, is I guess, something that, that can be done without Dan Aykroyd. I think Dan Aykroyd is a pivotal part. That's why that's been my biggest complaint about the all-female one is that that Dan Aykroyd is not a part of it. Mm-hmm. So I think when that happened, um, he felt like something being taken away from him. So I think I don't know how much he's his involvement in this, Sony doing this, but if um, I mean, Sony Sony only stands to make money both ways, both films, so why not go for it? Now, it'd be interesting to see if they're going to be connected universes with, like, the male Ghostbuster film being part of the same universe as the new one, or if the male Ghostbusters film is going to be the Ghostbusters 3, so to me, in that universe, and the female one isn't. It'd be really confusing for yeah. a lot of people if they weren't. So to I don't have know two separate, consistent universes. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, hopefully, uh, Dan is able to convince them to at least... Even if it's just the most minor fucking connection to connect the female Ghostbusters movie with the original continuity, even if they never fucking mention it, just make it so it's not a new universe. Yeah. And then this male one is more of the direct Ghostbusters three. Yeah. That, I think. I think that would be fine. It's still easy to make them in the same universe. Have the female one be the West Coast. Have the male go on be the East Coast. Bada bing! There you go. No Boom, problem. Done. Um, fucking so, yeah. easy. Uh, my favorite. I'm. I know this is gonna fucking happen, um, because. The uh, all male Ghostbusters, which I think it's dumb for there to be all female and all male, like just fucking. It's yeah, a we've cast already said that. We yeah. both agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think uh, the all male ones, since Dan Aykroyd and Ivan uh, Reckman are both on board, yeah, that Ghostbusters film is going to feel much more like the original. It's going to be a stronger film. It's going to be a better movie all around. I think it's going to be funnier, and it's just going to be more of what people want in a Ghostbusters film, and it's going to do, I think, financially better than the all-female cast Ghostbusters movie. And then Tumblr is going to lose its shit and act like it's a fucking problem because people are boycotting the female one for being all women, and everyone's going to ignore the fact that the Ghostbusters male one is just going to be a legitimately better Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, I had the same thoughts, and I wondered if you were were going that route with that. Absolutely. I I agree. I think... think if one does better than the other, it, it no, I, I think especially if the male one does better than the female lead one, I think it's just going to lead to people saying Hollywood sexist. I'm like, no, but that's you can't <laughs> you can't blame Hollywood if the movie going public are the ones that <laughs> go and make the more make the movie make money. Yeah, that's that's pure democrat. That's pure democracy. That's pure. Hey, we put these movies out. Which one made more money? This one. Well, it's clearly that's the one people wanted to see. Yeah. So I mean, if I mean if the female one is shit that makes a lot of money i'm not gonna complain whatever it, mm-hmm. that's what people want to see that's what they saw i don't care I, my, both of them both of them might suck yeah i don't know hey after yeah Ghost, they might both after, be terrible um, after blues brothers 2000 all bets are off yeah seriously i mean i love dan Aykroyd, but there's some he's made some weird decisions in his career i mean as much as i love dan i respect dan they can't all be winners like no matter exactly. who you mel brooks has made some shit too mel brooks is a god when it comes to comedy yeah so i mean it it happens that being said, like that being said, I do feel that Dan Aykroyd is an expert on Ghostbusters versus Blues Brothers. Dan Aykroyd was part of that. Yeah. Like so. I, I don't know. I'm hopeful for both. I think anything that puts more Ghostbuster stuff in pop culture and gets the, makes the brand lively and doing something, I think, is still a good thing. Yes. So anything to get more Ghostbusters and to get Ecto Cooler back on shelves. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Hey, you know what? You can you can make Ecto Cooler right now. It's just gonna be alcoholic. Uh, just take Midori, <laughs> which is a melon liqueur. Uh, make mix that with Mountain Dew. Boom, Nectar Cooler. Okay, I'm gonna go do that right now. It's really good. <laughs> and it'll get you know get you drunk. I like all of these things. All these things are great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you, drunk is what you're gonna have to be if you want to see that all female Ghostbusters movie. Said somebody online, I'm sure. <laughs> Fuck women. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That is what you do sometimes if they give you permission. Yes. Unless and they and they were and they are <laughs> swoosh still a rapist. 
in other news, um, speaking of many losses, uh, Sony's uh, Popeye animated film uh, lost uh, director Genny Kudarkovsky. Which is interesting, because uh, they which, were really like moving ahead with that. Which they lost all interest I had in that movie. Yep. Because uh, the, the animation sample that was out a few, several months back... Outside of a couple things, which I don't know, it was obviously a uh, animation sample thing, like him not having the pipe or the tattoos. It was basically, I, I mean, I thought looked at that video as like it was a pitch anyway. Yeah, it was just it was like a, um, I forget the name, like a, a, a it was basically a test animation test. You know, yeah, test, work in test. progress. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like here, yeah. um, proof of concept. Proof of concept. Yeah, I was trying to find yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. I say. Um, so I, I guess it's um, he's off because of difference, like um, um, differences. Uh, same thing with. Um, What's his name getting kicked off Ant Man? I don't know why I can't. Um, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Same thing. Edgar Wright getting kicked off Ant Man looks like it's just differences and opinions and interests and in what they want to do. Which is too bad, especially because um, uh, Cherokovsky outright said in the interview, like last September, I, that he was destined to make the Popeye animated film. Yeah. Like, like that's how much he cared about the franchise. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess franchise has been around since the fucking twenties. We can call yeah, it a it's franchise. Like shows, movies, uh, new new shows. Yeah, it's a it's a franchise. Yeah. Um. It shows just how much he cares about it, and for him to drop off means something fucking major. Yeah, or, or maybe Sony just fired him. Maybe they just didn't like what he's doing. But may, then it could be. Say, so I, I, I'm gonna keep going back to this line from when Marvel fired Edward Norton. He was not a team player. <laughs> maybe yeah. like what he wanted something and was very stringent. We stick to it, and maybe Sony thought I don't know if Sony could be very well being like, well, test audiences want this or something like we don't want Popeye to have tattoos or a pipe and Guinea's like but that's part of his character he's but a that's sailor. Popeye that is that's Popeye he his mouth is like that because he's holding a pipe if hey. you make his mouth look like that without the pipe it looks weird hey Trafalski how about if we uh how about if Popeye has a different love interest what if we get him some big tit hot hot babe and get olive oil out of here. Loyan, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is really popular right now. So why don't we get rid of olive oil? She's too skinny. She's uh, we're uh, no skinny shaming. That's a thing that's now happening. So let's make her fat. Make her people fa- gotta embrace fat people. Gotta be happy about all fat people, no matter what. Gotta be, gotta be happy so that we can't have a skinny person because that people are gonna think that Hollywood's fat shaming people. So we gotta get olive oil out of there or make her big. Uh, that's not olive oil. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Another news: uh, a uh, director is finally getting what's coming to them. Finally, uh, Jesus! Back, back in uh, February t- uh, of 2014, uh, the film *Midnight Rider*, which is also known as *Midnight Rider: The Great Goldman Story*, uh, director Randall Miller put several people in fucking danger when they're uh, operating on still active railroad tracks in uh, Georgia. Which resulted in a second camera assistant, Sarah Jones, being struck and killed, and seven others being injured. Yeah. Um, and it was a huge deal. I mean, the fact that yeah. that happened is fucking horrible and terrible. Like it, on my level, uh, which is a very small level, uh, I would never do something like that. So the fact that they had all this money and resources and still were just like, "Oh fuck it, we'll just shoot on these railroad tracks." I'm sure it'll be fine. Is insane. Yeah. Um, as many people know, I kind of harp on the Twilight Zone movie and John Landis purposely having Vic Morrow and two children be killed through complete negligence and idiotic things that were directly his fault and his somehow he got off scot-free so for me it's really uh, it's one of those like, things where I'm very happy that someone's actually going to jail for being a fucking asshole and costing the life of someone for a fucking movie mm-hmm. so I'm happy that I'm happy I guess that, that, that there's something's actually being done uh, he did a plea bargain um, where I had it right here apologies um, plea bargain, so he'll serve two years in county jail in Georgia. A whole bunch of other stuff. Um, trying to find the listing for it. I had it right in front of me. Um, so I think so, yeah, twenty thousand dollars in fine. I don't think he and uh, I think his wife is also a co-producer. Um, they can't. They're not allowed to direct a film or have any like control over set stuff for like ten years. Good. He's going to serve 10 years probation also. Um, he's going to have to serve 360 hours of community service in California. Um, I think there's a $20,000 fine in there. I don't know if I just mentioned that already or not. Um, so, yeah, he's he got he got fucking smacked hard. And he's actually, I'm glad he's doing actual jail time. I I don't know. I, it was an accident, so I guess it's okay that he's not serving the full 10-year sentence he could have took. Um, but, I mean, some, at least he's doing serving something, which is better than John Landis ever had to do. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that sends a good message to people in Hollywood that, you know, hey, don't fucking endanger your crew. Like, I was talking to Steve before we started. It's understandable if something happens to a stunt actor, because it's a stunt, there's danger, there's risk involved, things can happen. Like, on The Dark Knight, there's a stunt actor that that was killed. Like, those situations, it's The risk is known. The risk is known. It sucks that someone had someone died performing the stunt, but that's, that's fine. Not, hey... Um, we're gonna be on these railroad tracks, okay? Are the trains coming? No, no. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. No, they're not. um, We close them down. We're fine. Hey, uh, there's gonna be a helicopter flying above you. We're gonna set some explosions off. Uh, Oh, oh, the helicopter pilot said that that's dangerous. Um, no, just do it anyways. (laughs) We have we have child actors on the set at night. We have no supervision. They're not supposed to be here. Ah, that's fine. Oh, so the actor and the two kids are decapitated when a helicopter crashed on them? Oh, that's not my fault. No, 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 no. Mm, not, not my fault. That was not just a freak accident. No one could have predicted that. No one could have predicted that. There's no way we could have stopped that from happening. No way at all. I'm John Landis. I directed Thriller. It's okay. Fucking John Landis. And your son's Superman video is a piece of shit. Oh, what, what's that? I don't think I've seen that. Oh, that um, that one where uh, he talks about the uh, death and return of Superman. It's like a 15 minute long video where he just insults the entire story and insults Superman. But I, he, I haven't seen that. That's oh scary. wow, they that got super passed around. They even had like he dressed up a bunch of his Hollywood actor friends. Elijah Wood wears tinfoil when he's supposed to be the cyborg Superman, which is fantastic. That like, sounds great. Like the video is legitimately funny, but I hate every single opinion he has in it because he's a fucking idiot that comes off as a pompous prick who thinks he's every, he's right about everything. <laughs> sounds awesome. The, the, the video opens with no one gives a shit about Superman. You don't give a shit about Superman. So immediately I was like, you can go fuck yourself. Anyway, so yeah, fuck John uh, Landis. I, um, I'm I, glad this guy is at least going to jail. Yeah, production on this movie is halted, which I guess sucks because now it's like, oh, cool, people died for this movie. It's probably never going to see the light of day. Yep, that's worth it. So, uh, other news: um, Marvel is not going to be at San Diego Comic Con. Uh, again, it's been reported. I think some people are also reporting Marvel Comics, but it looks like just Marvel Studios is not going to be at San Diego Comic Con. Yes, like some people are saying Marvel Comics, but like as I said, I think those are people mishearing or misunderstanding what was being announced. I think, and obviously, I'm not sure. You know, San Diego Comic Con might show up in that huge fucking space that Marvel pays thousands of dollars for every single year because it's a major event. Will not have Marvel there, but I super doubt that. Yeah. So. What do you think about Marvel Studios not showing up in San Diego? Uh, I think it's very obvious. It's a D23 year. You know, it's the Disney's expo, so Disney does not want to waste any announcements or showings or anything like that at someone else's show when they could maintain the uh, quality slash, like, um, integrity buzz for their own show. Okay. So I think it's it's just that. Do a lot of people really go to D23, or...? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, it's usually it, pretty know, packed. Is, is it always called D23 or is it D22, D23? It's, it's always called D23. Okay, I think I've heard of, I, D23, I heard about it. D23 is the fan club. D23 Expo is the name of the event. Do they, how, is that like every other year? Or? Yeah, it's like every other year. Okay. I, I've never hearing about it. I just haven't heard about it in a while, so it kind of slipped my memory that it existed. I know it takes place in Anaheim. Yeah, it's called D23 because so. it's uh, named in the, in the honor of the year 1923, which is okay. the year when Walt left Kansas City to head to Hollywood. Okay, gotcha. Neat. So and I, um, I, I didn't know if you looked. I mean, you brought, did, when is that? Anyways, is it? I, I mean, it's twenty fifteen. I forget like when offhand. Okay, I was just curious. I mean, it's still weird because you can still have panels and still you know host Q and A. And I mean, if you're even if you're repeating the same information, I mean, more people pay attention to San Diego than they do D twenty three. I think that's what Disney's trying to change. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, best of luck with that. They're yes. trying to make their expo matter way more. So now all of the Star if it's a D23 year and you're waiting to hear anything about Marvel movies or fucking, you know, Star Wars movies, better be paying attention to D23. Hmm. Did uh, how I guess uh when did Disney It's August, Marvel? it's August 14th to 16th. Okay, so it's a month after San Diego. Yes. I'm trying to think if they uh, bought Marvel a while one. ago. But okay, I, I was trying to remember the year because I, I I was curious at the last because obviously Marvel Studios has been at San Diego. For yes, like including during D23 years. Okay, but hmm. I think this is like I said, this is Disney trying to make the ex- their expo matter more. But I mean, that the last expo they had announcements at the expo that weren't at San, San Diego Comic Con. Gotcha. So I mean, I mean, they announced like a couple movies that, I mean, they still had the panels at the Comic Con, but they had all the announcements at D23. Gotcha. So I think they're just trying to turn it more into this is D23. 
I agree with you. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to have a couple panels for something, a fucking Ant-Man or whatever. I don't know. But, I mean, I think that's that's purely what the logic is. You know, why why bother trying to fight for buzz and compete with other movies? Uh, why give this other show that we don't get money for um, the buzz when we have our own show this year? So let's just do that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, this little side thing, I wonder if at D23 they'll talk about the Tron 3 movie. I, I hope so. Since apparently that's starting soon. I, I uh, it's a rumor, but it's it came from a very reputable source, and I believe the rumor's true. It's funny. I, I know it's a quick thing that we didn't have on the docket. I kind of remembered it. Um, it's funny how so many news sites are reporting, like, for some reason they're making Tron 3. I'm like, some reason? Why Why, why shouldn't they make Tron 3? Yeah, it's tr- like saying, for some reason they're making Tron 2. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I'm Tron 2 is awesome, and Tron has a bunch of fans. Yeah. I don't see. For some reason they're making Star Wars 7. For some reason, I don't understand why they're making more Marvel movies. (laughs) For some reason, Avengers 3 is already greenlit. For some reason, why are they doing all that? I don't know. Um, For me, because I actually go to San Diego every year, uh, I'll be interested to see how busy Hall H stuff is going to be then. Mm -hmm. Because Marvel Studios makes up the bulk of Hall H. Why is this room so packed? And why the line's so long. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna guess Hall H will be DC movies. Oh yeah. Well I mean it was gonna be that way anyways, yeah. but it'd be interesting it'd also be interesting to see how many people uh, refund their tickets now. I wonder if this because I know last year not enough people refunded tickets like didn't want to go so they refunded tickets, so usually uh CCI would do um a badge resale closer then because like hey we got refunded tickets we're gonna put we're gonna put what we have up for sale last year they didn't because they didn't get enough refunded tickets mm-hmm. i'll be really interested to see how many people refunded tickets this year after that news and so and how if, if they do a uh, ticket refund sale or not right so uh yeah i i don't know for me it's cool because that means less assholes at fucking san diego yeah seriously right there there's not a, there's not a gigantic 30 by 40 foot booth that's just the fucking throne for odin yeah just hey, use up, up all this fucking space up. Yeah, walk up and get your picture taken with it after you stand in line to take your picture with it for two hours. Oh, I guess at one point Robbie Dyer, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be up there, which means there's going to be like a thousand people around the fucking booth look, taking fucking pictures and standing there instead of moving their fucking asses. Yep. So, hey, you know, Marvel Studios not being there uh, made my day when that news broke. Because I, I smiled greatly and said, great, San Diego is going to be even better this year. Uh, I agree. I'm, I'm going to miss San Diego this year, but I'm pretty pumped about that. I think that's a great thing. So I look forward to seeing that. And, and also if, if the exhibit hall will be any more busy because there aren't people in Hall H. Like last year, there's no real major panels on Sunday, so apparently the exhibit hall was packed as fuck. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a badge for Sunday because I don't need Sunday badges because they're expensive, and I just didn't need it. So I didn't go, so it was a great day not to be there. Perfect. So other bit of news and some cat news. Meow. Meow. Uh, Draft House is releasing a Blu-ray of the 1981 film Roar. Which I didn't know existed prior to you telling me about it today. Yeah. Uh, you want to you talk about that a little bit? Uh, it sounds amazing. It sounds... <laughs> so, okay, I'm just going to give you guys... I'm not even going to click on the article. I'm going to tell you based off memory of me reading it just a few minutes ago, so it'll be mostly spot on, but... So, uh, these filmmakers were in Africa or some shit and saw these cats living in a old house that was not being used by humans anymore and then thought about, and then they started to bring up this cause of, you know, wild, uh, predator cats in Africa being overhunted, which is a really good thing. You know, that's a great yeah. thing. Um, yeah. so then they were like, okay, so we're going to do this movie, uh, using all of these lions and cats and jaguars and shit and they went to animal trainers to bring them up with this, and the trainers basically said, you're fucking insane. No, that that's a terrible idea. The cats will kill each other unless they grew up together, and the cats will kill you unless they grew up with you. Um, and they were like, oh, okay. So then they buy bought a bunch of cats. They bought a bunch of predator cats. Uh, uh, they bought entire prides of baby cats and raised them. For years and years. They got to over a hundred fucking cats in their backyard zoo or whatever. It's fine, whatever. I mean, I know other people that do that. It's kind of, you know, screwed up to, like, raise animals in your backyard as opposed to the wild or zoo that actually gives them enough space that they need. But whatever. You know, I guess it's better than those cats being hunted and killed or... or, Whatever. So then they start making this movie, and, like, over a fucking decade, um, 70 people were mauled. 
and hurt. Uh, a dude got scalped, but no one died, but a dude got scalped by a lion. Some dude was impaled so often that he caught gangrene or he was getting impaled. Um, in the, all of the investors that they had dropped out two years into it, so they used all of their own money to try to finish the film. S crew, Entire crews would stop working on the film so often that they had to hire whole new crews consistently just to keep trying to make the fucking movie. And when it came out, it was called the biggest disaster film ever, ever made. Meaning in the sense that so many disasters happened trying to make the movie. And then it was also a financial disaster and made no money. Yeah. Uh, so the it's, tagline uh, that Draft House put on their new poster, it's like, no animals are harmed in the making of this film. 70 cast and crew members were. <laughs> the most dangerous movie ever made was back in the theaters this spring. Yeah, so I cannot wait to see it, because I never knew it existed. I didn't either until this news broke, and I'm like, oh, this movie sounds fucking amazing. A movie about people in rooms with like live animals who are just <laughs> Doing their own thing, not giving a shit. Not giving a shit. No animal trainers, nothing. Just, hey, we're going to put you in a room, do what you're going to do, but here's a warning. The lions and the tigers, or what have you, are just going to do their own thing. They're going to do their own thing. There's no control in them. <laughs> Good luck. Action. That's almost, that's almost like um, in Zombie. Ray, we're going to drug this shark and toss you in the water to kind of fuck with it. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, uh, Good luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> so that's exciting. Uh, this, I guess this spring we'll hear what's going on with that. I cannot wait. <laughs> cannot wait. That sounds awesome. Uh, last bit of news here, because we've talked about James Bond before. So Spectre um, apparently is so bloated with budget. Its budget right now is at $300 million. Which I is insane is not, for a James Bond film. I assume that doesn't include uh, marketing still. Probably not. So let's just let's just say uh, four hundred four hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, that sounds that's, right. that's a good number, right? That's like that's that's a good price to make your movie at, right? It's perfect. Why bother making a, a James Bond film for one hundred fifty million dollars that'll make six hundred million when you can make a James Bond film for three hundred million dollars, which will be seen by the same amount of people the same amount of times probably? Because what can your money add that to the James Bond film that people won't already get with a smaller budget? Yeah, you remember what happened with Green Lantern? How that movie didn't make its budget back? It made three hundred million dollars. It made so much money, but, but they when your movie spent so much money. <laughs> but when your movie costs, you know, like two hundred fifty million dollars or so, it's hard to make your money back. Yeah, or yeah. at least make enough back to make a difference that not including for marketing. Yeah, to justify stuff. it. Yeah. So, uh, so apparently, there the I think Steve, how how'd you say this is going now? Since you brought it to me. Oh, uh, well, it's fantastic. Apparently, again, as you said, the uh, budget for the movie is going batshit crazy. Uh, so they want to make sure that they are getting millions upon millions of dollars of incentives from Mexico. Uh, so the executive producers on the film have been fighting with the filmmakers saying that you gotta, we gotta keep these incentives, so you need to let the Mexican government make casting decisions and change the script where they see fit. So the villain of the film who was Mexican, is no longer Mexican, because that would be bad for Mexico. And also, the leading lady is a Mexican actress. Oh, I wonder if James Bond, like, starts, becomes like a luchador. Uh, he literally becomes El Mariachi. Yeah, and then he, like, he just puts on the mask, and then he starts just, like, uh, doing Lucha Libre wrestling, and that's, that's, like, that's Spectre. That's the name, that Spectre is the name of his Lucha wrestler. Perfect. He's an evil specter that's gonna come for you. Perfect. And and then he puts you in a pile, like a uh, be like pile drives the villain off the top rope and then paralyzes him. Perfect. That sounds like the best James Bond movie. This and his gad his gadgets are like oil on like on his shoes, so he can slip out of a hole or something. <laughs> Q's walking in. It's like okay, so when he gets you in the scorpion in the in a, in a scorpion crosslock or something, activate these wrist guards that electrocute your your opponent. <laughs> they just like go to total kayfabe like wrestling's real and everything and go go straight up like um no holds barred with it or something all right well let's do this this already sounds like a way better james bond film than uh all the other yeah, ones I think, I think we just wrote a better james bond movie than what that's actually, actually gonna come out and i think we can do this movie for less than 300 million i bet we can do it for ten thousand. Oh man um yeah probably <laughs> 
Let's just let's call up the let's call up the Mexican government and see if I mean we'll gladly rewrite our script for them. Gladly. Yeah, that sounds great. So, so I'll be, you know, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I, maybe Dave Batista will put on a mask and he'll wrestle. Oh, let's do this. Because he, he can do it. He can do that. So. So yeah, uh, this is gonna be great. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, the James Bond movie co that's co-written by Mexican government. Yeah, you think studio interference is bad? <laughs> wait till you see all the Mexican government interference. I wonder if they get final cut. I want, ooh, what, what the Mexican government doesn't like it? So can they put uh, a, a, a um, Alan Smithy name on the on the movie? <laughs> I hope so. That'd be really funny. Produced by Alan Smithy. Oh, the country of Alan Smithy. The country of Alan Smithy. <laughs> oh, great. Well, moving on to our, our main bunch of topics this week uh this week's kind of a you know a shoot shoot the shit kind of episode uh we were kind of in in the um realm of planning up the next couple weeks so we wanted to take a little week where we talk about some things we'd seen recently and nothing 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 super huge that we can devote like major discussion on but some little things here mm-hmm. um i guess I'll, I'll kick it off i saw the uh, fred olin ray 1988 film hollywood chainsaw hookers which i've not seen so tell us about it uh, it's everything in the title. Oh, perfect. It takes place in Hollywood. There are chainsaws and there are hookers using said chainsaws. Um, the film is centers around Jack Chandler, who's a private detective. I'll just read the plot summary on Wikipedia because it's perfect. Okay. When private detective Jack Chandler, played by Jay Richardson, tries to track down a teenage runaway, played by Linnea Quigley, he runs to a cult of Egyptian chainsaw-worshipping prostitutes led by The Master, played by Gunnar Hansen. Sounds fantastic. Uh, it is fantastic. It's a quick. It's a quick seventy-five minute watch. Uh, there's plenty of tits and bush, and they're covered in hilariously fake-looking blood. Um, it was. It was. It was fun. It was a really fun movie. Linnea Quigley is. This is about the prime of her looking really cute and awesome and hot. Okay. Um, so being her normal self in the '80s, just being in random schlock horror films, whether it be Return of the Living Dead, this. Um, Sorority Babes and Slime Bowl Bolorama. Yeah, so she's great. Gunnar Hansen's hilarious in this because he's Gunnar Hansen. And it's funny him being in a film that's about chainsaws because he played Leatherface. Yeah, whenever he's in a film about chainsaws, it's fantastic. I remember when, uh, uh, I, I, I almost said friends, but I barely know that my acquaintances uh, made a movie called Chainsaw Sally. They purposely made sure that Chainsaw Sally's dad was Gunnar Hansen. <laughs> so I think that's a, it's always fun that whenever he's near chainsaws. Yeah, you can make a, it's it's funny that there's enough you can make a whole trivia category of films that Gunnar Hansen is in that is that feature chainsaws. That's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, I I we need to make that list as long as possible. Yeah, but the film plays some good tropes. Like there's some good bits of um, playing on like the whole uh, noir detective genre. Okay, like there's what like the um, Jack Chandler. He's the private detective. He's um, kind of always narrating over scenes like happen in, fil- in film noir stuff, and the stuff like he's talking about isn't what's happening in the scene. Like he's having a fight with his girlfriend, and like but he's talking about how she's totally loving and being really nice to him. But in the scene, she's like you can visit vi- like see her cursing him out, flipping him off, and everything. <laughs> so there's some good jokes there. That's pretty fantastic. There's some fun bits where he's um, he gets caught by the cult as what happened, and he's like making jokes like so what do you tell me that you like what, like so what are you telling me you sacrifice people to appease your 100 year old egyptian god so you keep yourself living longer and then gunner hansen will be like how'd you know that <laughs> <laughs> it's like everything's played off and gunner is pretty funny in it that's cool i think i think i think he could he could have done a lot more and more comedy like horror comedy type things so i think he mm-hmm. i don't know i don't i don't know a whole lot about gunner hansen's filmography i just know he did probably didn't make as much money as he probably should have for Texas Chainsaw. But then again, no one made enough money as they should have from Texas Chainsaw because of mob connections. Yeah. It's great when your film is for, uh, financed and produced by the mob. It's perfect. Because it works out great for everybody, especially Toby Hooper. Especially Toby Hooper. So uh, I'm sure he was treated super well by the mob post-release. Super well. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the movie uh, is fun. You can pick it up for maybe I think maybe anywhere from five. To, I think it's I think it's like five ten bucks on Amazon. Not that much, not more than that. It's a fun watch. It's a cult classic. Um, so yeah, check it out. It features a lot of chainsaws, a lot of hookers, and it's in Hollywood. It it sounds like a ten out of ten film. Everything yeah, I, everything I, I expected. I, 
on my letterbox list when I put it in for my 365 day watch I gave it 5 out of 5 you know why because it delivered on everything it said it would honestly I think that's a fair way to rate films <laughs> yeah that's usually how I do if it delivers everything I want and I had a lot of fun I'll give it you know, 5 out of 5 uh, I, I, I definitely think by my giving 5 out of 5s on films that most people on letterbox give like 1s or 2s I'm boosting up those ratings absolutely so take that take that uh, so, Steve, you had, a, you had a little film you watched? I watched a film uh, this week called Dragonfire, and that's fire with a Y. That's, that's how, stylistic. That's how you know it's good. Uh, original title of the film is Orc Wars, so clearly they made a movie called Orc Wars, and then when it was picked up for distribution, the distributor went, how the fuck do you want us to sell a movie called Orc Wars? Uh, we gotta let people know there's a fucking dragon in this. It's the only way people are gonna care. Well, if you put Orc Wars, uh, people might, like, your grandma might mistake it for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So I appreciate them for d- distancing themselves from Lord of the Rings. Somewhat. Although their orcs look very Lord of the Rings. Well, absolutely they do, but it, also... It looks like it looks like Weta had, like, a di- like after the filming of Return of the King, just put all the costumes up in lots on, like, the flea market, <laughs> and the filmmakers went there and bought them, like, hey, we can make a movie with these. <laughs> uh, this is apparently the second orc movie that these filmmakers have made. They aren't connected oh. at all, but this is their second wow. orc movie. That probably stretches the budget on the on the costumes. Probably. I mean, honestly, I'll get into the costumes in a second. Um, the plot, yeah, yeah, the plot of the film, and I will give the plot summary. That's on IMDb, which means it was probably written by the director when they first submitted this to IMDb. Um, a battle-weary ex-special forces operative buys a ranch in remote America in the remote American West to flee from the world, and encounters a strange series of trespassers, including a beautiful elf princess and a Native American mystic and orcs. When the orcs invade his property, John must give up his isolation to become a hero before the orcs unleash their dragon god upon our world. D- them orcs, my property. Uh, it's literally what the move the first when he first meets the orcs. It's all get off my property, and then he shoots them. It's <laughs> <laughs> is this movie like an al- like an allegory for uh, like illegal immigrants in the United it's States? It's exactly what it is. That uh, so, I mean, this movie opens, and I wish I saw it without knowing the plot at all, because if I didn't know the plot, I would have laughed even more. Because uh, the movie is hilarious. I feel that the movie knows what it is. There's enough scenes where there's a dude on an ATV driving by with, an, with a machine gun shooting orcs to know that it's not like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like just like Lord of the Rings, guys. It's gonna be this. I have to listen to the commentary on that. Me too. Guess, yeah, if you listen to the commentary and the director is super earnest, then the, so if you found out the movie was trying to be all earnest and all seriousness, would it detract? I would be less supportive of it, but it doesn't change how much entertainment I got from the film. Uh, <laughs> True, that's what matters truly in the end. Uh, but yeah, the movie opens and it's very, it's trying to be very classic, you know, fantasy genre, you know, this elf princess fighting against these orcs with some knights trying to get her to this cave thing. Um, the knights are getting shot down by the orcs, and the orc costumes look fantastic. Like, as you said, they may have just found a bunch of orc shit in New Zealand and stole it, for all I know. But the armor looks good, the prosthetic makeup looks good, the orcs look good, and they really effectively reuse orc costumes and armor in a way to make them seem like they have way more orcs than they really do. Like, as a filmmaker, I'm like, okay, clearly this is the same 12 fucking extras in this shot as over here. But they do little subtle changes on some of the costumes just to make them look like they're different characters. Yeah. And then the lead orcs are all completely unique and different, which is good. Like, they do it, what they do what they can intelligently with the budget that they had for this, clearly. I don't know what the uh, budget was, but I can't imagine that it was that much. Uh, $3.1 million. I mean, yeah, given how, they actually, I mean, given how many extras they had and the fucking costumes that they had to build, uh, that being said, this is their second orc movie, so they needed to save a bunch of money on the orc stuff. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Sorry, (laughs) I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, you're talking about the effects and the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah, the beginning of the movie, if they're chasing, it looks like a low fucking budget fantasy genre movie. Uh, there's this floating banshee villain who's very effective visually. It's very simple. It's just some chick in a white veil and white makeup on her face, but it looks spooky. Too spooky for me. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, Gotta sneak that in somehow. And it's, uh, like I said, it's, everything's fantasy genre. It's straight fantasy genre. You know, the chick who's playing this elf princess is playing a really good elf princess, again, for a low-budget fantasy genre, but she's, she's doing it. Like, there's no... There's no wink to the camera. There's no tongue-in-cheek. Like, this is like they were making a comedy but didn't tell her it's a comedy. That's how hard she's acting this. 
and she That's gets good. through this cave that she was trying to get to, and when she gets to the other cave, they all the orcs are like, oh shit, it's the wizard, and the wizard shows up, who's just this old dude with a bunch of fucking guns, and starts murdering all of these orcs. And the, the shift in tone is amazing, and it was unexpected even knowing this plot summary. So the, he, get, he dies, and the next sentinel wizard is just this other dude who just gets that dude's ranch and all of his guns. There you go. And it's pretty fantastic. Orcs keep trying to invade this fucking military dude's ranch house, trying to get this princess, and he keeps on shooting them with guns. And that's pretty much the movie, except it's really funny. It, it, it comes, like like you said, if I listen to the commentary and the director's like, yeah, so this is exactly the same quality as Return of the King. You're welcome, world. Then it would not be as entertaining. But the movie comes off as if it knows what it is. That's good. It, it comes off that way. It comes off as silly. It's having fun with the concept. It's it. It seems like it was a silly idea that they knew was silly, uh, so they had fun with it. Uh, the most of the CG effects are actually pretty decent. Like the explosions are mostly okay. The dragon looks hilarious, but it isn't dog shit. Like it moves smooth. It it looks good in motion. Like it's not jaggedy or cheap. It's just the quality that they were able to get. Yeah. Um, honestly, the worst CG in the film at times is the gun muzzle flashes look terrible. Like, if all yeah. the CG to look terrible, those would be the things that I would expect to look good. Uh, the yeah. acting is solid, the cast is good all around, the action scenes are actually pretty good. <laughs> Again, for what it is, uh, as, as good as a military guy fighting orcs with guns can be, it's pretty good with that. Cool. Uh, the uh, biggest complaint I have with the film is that um, like 70% of the fucking movie is shot in the daytime and it's supposed to be at night and it's yeah the trailer had a lot of day for night mega obvious that it's a lot of day for night shots yeah. but everything else is fine the cinematography is solid the audio is good the music is fine everything's it's a fun movie and I enjoyed it when your film just is like a lot of blue it's not not, not, good, not a good sign I agree completely agree so, but what it but what it does right it does right so I appreciated it for that sounds, sounds like a fun little film it's a fun film it's on Netflix if you don't want to risk spending any money on it you can if you have Netflix you can watch it right now have fun there you go guys <laughs> check, check out Dragon Fiery Fiery <laughs> Dragon Fryer Dragon Fryer there you go Dragon Fryer Come on down to the Dragon Fryer, where we got buy one, get one wings. Oh yeah, my other favorite part of the film is that the Elf Princess's sword is literally just Sting from the Lord of the Rings. Like, they literally I just bought a replica sword. I tell you, Weta had, had a mass like, flea market sale on their extra props, and these people were like, hey, we're set. We can we're make, set! Like, we can make, it, we can make at least two films. With the troll films, they use those costumes for like four different movies. <laughs> I respect that. I really do. <laughs> Set for life. Uh, so I guess like the the main, I guess continuing on this streak of indie films, um, our, our main little bit of discussion to, to cap this episode is the 2010 indie film Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb, yes. Now, um, You lead this one, Bill, because you actually watched, like, uh, all the extras and shit. Uh, I, watched a, I watched an okay amount. Um, this is, okay, so let, let's sum it up. Sum it up. Uh, it's a rape revenge film. Yes, that's the gist of this film. It's it's but it's uh, I'll, I'll read the plot on Wikipedia. It's, it, I think it sums it up pretty well. Uh, set in 1984 in a small Texas town, Cherry Bomb follows the story of Cherry, an exotic dan- exotic dancer. I love when people say that. Um, <laughs> who is sexually assaulted by a group of men in a club where she works. Upon wor- waking in the hospital, Cherry soon comes to find that all of the men have escaped justice, seemingly due to the help of corrupt local law enforcement. Against the odds, Cherry teams up her est- with her estranged brother and vows revenge against the men who left her emotionally and physically broken. But things don't always go as planned, and Cherry finds herself up against the police, a vicious hired gun and a barrage of unexpected consequences as she strives for vengeance um yeah that sums it up pretty well yeah although it's funny because i didn't realize this movie was supposed to take place in the i i thought it was the, i thought it was the 90s i thought it was 90s or even modern day nothing about the movie struck me as 1984 well what started strike it struck me as not being modern day because obviously like they obviously cared enough to make some of the phones be old older yeah i guess um, you're right there's a lot of little things, but on 1984, no fucking way. Nope. That this movie is supposed to take place in 1984. All of the women in houses are way too modern. 
for it to be in 1984. Yeah. They all look modern. Uh, Cherry looks modern. Her hair, if, she, if they gave her, like, up hair, like, updo, like, did that, they actually made it look like that stuff, yeah. Like, if she looked like, her hair looked like she did and when she went to Club Noir uh, to kill that guy, like, yeah, that'd be more believable. But this looks like a movie that was made in 2010 and took place in 2010. Yeah. So in that regard, I think they failed there. Um, I love that. I love films that hire actresses to play strippers, but never show them, ha- never show nudity on the actress. Yeah. <laughs> it's like don't then hire a different actress. Sometimes that's easier said than done. I mean, I've honestly run into a lot of resistance in that. On some films, some films it's super easy. You know, like boom, I got three chicks getting naked, no problem. Yeah. On other films, it's like okay, this lead character has to get naked. You know, it's a short scene, uh, but it's like super paying. It's going to be super well. Fucking no one in the entire region auditions for that role specifically because of the nudity. Okay, and I understand this is my I'm an outside guy looking into it. So obviously you as an indie filmmaker will have a different opinion. I just feel I just feel me as a viewer it's just like okay, she's a stripper, but she's not stripping in this thing. No, I agree with you, but that's that's the thing and I've gotten into a couple arguments with people and sometimes uh I used to have a, a friend or two that maybe not be friends with me anymore because of what I said, but I will straight up say, you know, if there's a role in the film uh, that there's nudity in the script for, and there's a actress who is a really, really good actress versus an actress who's an okay actress, but the okay one will get naked. I'm gonna hire that one every yeah. time. Cause let's be honest, uh, tits sell. Like there's actually women that are showing their tits in this strip club. It's just not, and they, they accept the. It's only the person that's dancing on the stage, just the featured dancer right now, is not taking her bra off. Yeah. What strip club is like that? No strip club is like no. that. <laughs> Um, my biggest problem with the film is in the opening scene when one of the chicks talks about big tits and she hold, and then she grabs her fucking B cup tits. Um, <laughs> I had a big problem with that. It, just cut the fucking line at that point. I'm sorry, but you did not you get an like, actress. You didn't like the shitty put in post like fireworks that blow up on the stage when, when Cherry finishes her uh, performance. Oh no, that was beautiful. It looked great. And they look even better at the end of the film. Even better. <laughs> um. Uh, other things, uh, I don't. Do you, do you have anything? I, I've been going for a bit. Do you have anything? You know, some stuff you want to add here? Uh, if we're just going randomly, uh, we can talk. We are kind of going randomly. Shoot the shit. Okay, let's just shoot the shit. Um, the first time I saw Bull, uh, who is the hired gun in the film, <laughs> I thought it was a fucking white dude in blackface because he looked so racist. His and then his hair looks so fake. His, looks like a wig. His hair is super fake. It has to be fake. I refuse to believe that is the actor's actual hair. Um, and the first shot of him, he the, the, his skin tone looks off. It might just have been like the color correction settings on the SD, but also his voice is like hyper deep, but like white guy hyper deep. Uh, so uh, it took me a while to figure out that this was actually a black actor. Um, and it was hard for me to take him seriously because his hair looks ridiculous. I love his voice. It's fantastic, but his voice does not match either his body or the character that he's playing, I feel. Yeah. Uh, it's a great voice, but it's just not a higher... You mean game. his character of the Terminator? Yeah, he is the Terminator. The, I, I will say this right now. I started noticing this during the film. I'm, I think Steve did too. I did. There's so many times where they really want this movie to be Terminator. It, yeah, people are going to say that this is like uh, I Spit on Your Grave. No, this is Terminator. No, trust me. I <laughs> love I Spit on Your Grave, and that's what makes that's what makes this film that much shittier because it feels like... I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I guess any rape revenge film at this point has trouble of one-upping I Spit on Your Grave. Mm-hmm. Um, but this film does a piss-poor job doing that. Yeah. And then it's just trying to be Terminator. Like, there are some parts where it's like, this is a shot for... So- they, this is this is the scene for Terminator. Like, there's a scene where one of the um, people that Cherry's hunting down is a black man who didn't do anything but didn't help, it, but also didn't try to... He didn't try to stop. The didn't rape. try to stop her. Yeah. So she's hunting him down. She... Oh, God. The guy is at a ball, like a ball ring. Uh, baseball ball, field. Uh, baseball diamond. Yeah. Right? With his kid and everything like that. She's sitting up on this ledge of a sniper rifle, puts it down, and then walks. Like, everything there is just the same scene with Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. With Miles Dyson. With Sarah Connor and Miles Dyson. Yep. Her walking in, kicking something down, shooting at him with a handgun. Everything in this scene in Cherry Bomb is exactly like it. Yeah. It's like her shooting him, him falling down, the kid like, no, don't hurt my daddy. And her saying all this shit, yelling at him and stuff. And then crying and then not killing him. Holy, holy shit. I mean... But earlier in the film, I thought it was just a little nod because there's a club where one of the guys goes to that she's gonna go kill. It's called Club Noir, and yeah, it's it's like okay, that's that's a little odd. Although I feel like they shoot that also to be very similar to the Club Noir scene from Terminator. Yeah, but again, when that's by itself, that's an homage. 
Oh yeah, but then they introduce the the, the whole scene of her shooting the not Miles Dyson in this film. And then there's the the guy Bull, the hired killer, who's acting like the fucking Terminator the whole time, whole time. He gets hit by a car, he's fine. He punches through windows, he's fine. He's in a shootout with people. He's just the he's the fucking Terminator. Yeah. it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, my uh, speaking of the sniper scene, I enjoyed how she had uh, Miles Dyson. I don't know his actual character's name, but I appreciate yeah. that she had Miles Dyson in the middle of her crosshairs in this fucking military grade sniper rifle. When she fires, she hits the ground three feet to his left. Yeah. How bad? Sights are off just a little bit. Guys. How bad do you have to be at a gun? Well, it's it's really windy out. It's really windy out. Um, I really windy. I I'll be uh I'm perfectly honest. I was actually pretty pumped that that dude did not get killed because yeah. it was a case of like he knew that he fucked up. He should have helped and he didn't, and that's something wrong that he did that he needs to pay for. But he didn't go to the police because I threatened his family. Yeah, exactly. And, like, exactly. he didn't deserve to get killed over that. So I'm glad, you know, yeah, shoot him in the legs and leave. I thought that was pretty fair. And I actually just well, like that. Kind of shifting back. Like, even the character of Cherry, I find I was, thought was really problematic. Uh, that actress kept going from doing really well to doing really terribly. Like, yeah, in the went, hospital, went... she was fantastic. Like, all the yeah, hospital stuff, all the rage stuff, it was so really good. And then immediately she's just, like, sucking on a lollipop like it's a dick, talking to her brother, like she's a fucking schoolgirl cheerleader again. Uh, we're gonna go get some revenge. Yeah! And I'm just like, holy shit, no. Like, it was, uh, if she would have stayed in the personality of in the hospital, it, the movie would have been way better. Like an actual character who had gone through a huge trauma, and, and like like the lead, I, I've been a while since Tiana Spinner Grave, like the lead from *I Spinner Grave*. Yeah, she's obviously tra- traumatized from the event, and she goes through and like cold, dead fucking killer kills all the people who raped her. Yeah, this one's like, oh, she's in the hospital. You get the tra- you get the trauma, everything's set up fine there. Then it turns into, like. You might as well have cast, like, a fucking teeny bopper girl. Like, ha, we're gonna go get some revenge. I got some guns. And she's so and, cool. And not only that, but when she's playing that version of the character, she's not good at acting. No, it really gets bad. I don't know if they shot things back. I don't know if they shot all that stuff and, like, she got better. And they, It could have. Like, the last the last stuff they shot was the hospital scenes. It definitely could have been a potential thing. Like, that happens. Yeah, um... But I guess even I don't know even then because I, I don't know when they showed. But I guess yeah, that might make sense because even the scenes in the strip club in the finale were kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Like um, I think uh, what was I trying to say here? Um, I don't know. They made they tried to make full use of that strip club set. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of things in it. Although most of it just took place in some guy's office, like the head of the strip club. So I feel like they didn't need a strip club for that. They could have shot that in someone's room. Yeah. Um, I, I did mention, I, I mean, I forgot to look it up. Um, I did mention the, uh, budget before, um, I think... hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, do you think this movie, uh, looked, looked like a hundred thousand dollar mini? Uh, well, there was times when I was surprised at how low quality the film looked, and I was just like, this was clearly shot in a DSLR, uh, which is fine. I mean, I shoot my fucking movies on DSLRs, but I was, like, surprised at how obvious it was at times. I mean, like, if you watch Captain Z... There's times, oh, I'm absolutely sure that there's times when you're like, oh, this was a DSLR, but there's also times when, when you might be like, oh, this is actually a really good-looking film. I wonder what they shot this on. Yeah, but you didn't also just... I feel like Cherry Bomb also did the... Uh, we're a gritty movie, like that filter they put on the film mm-hmm. that makes everything look kind of... Like, I don't know, um, what's the word? Uh, like, washed out. Yeah, yeah, they definitely... There's definitely a washed-out filter on um, the film, which I think detracts. But then I noticed that the film was, like, made in 2010 and only, like, just recently kind of got, like, legitimate distribution. Mm. Uh, and they shot it on a Canon 7D, which is not known for doing really, really, really great video compared to the 5D or even, like, what the T2i, the T3i, and the T4i today, which is what I shoot my films on. So um, I could see that they got that camera because it was cheap and they owned it, and then a bunch of the money went elsewhere. Because, I mean, they tried doing stuff that was out of their budget. That car chase was fucking laughable. But they... It really was. They were, like, driving, like, five miles an <laughs> yeah. hour, um, trying to shooting at each other. I mean, they tried. I appreciate that. But, like, so, I mean, they bought those two cars specifically for the movie because they were, like, rhyming, running into each other and shit. Yeah, and they clearly screwed up their shooting schedule because there's some scenes where that window is broken and many scenes where it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, renting the strip club, paying probably all those strippers, because I'm sure everyone that was actually naked in the scene were real strippers. Since they could, I believe that. Um, uh, they had a decent amount of actors that they paid. You know, they had some decent locations that they had to use, you know, getting all the extras for the fucking uh, the club scene. Um, 
Uh, it being 100000 I mean, I would say personally no, but that's based on how I do budgets. Looking at a movie yeah. like Scream Park, which costs 50000 I fully believe that this is a home $100,000 movie. Okay. I was just curious, because after watching it, I... I am also spoiled by your filmmaking, where I think you're fi- you're you're an indie filmmaker, and I think your films look way better than this film. I really appreciate that, and thank you. Also, um, I, ag- so I agree. I, 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 and then I didn't think, oh, what could Steve do? A hundred thousand dollars, probably, probably something mind fucking blowing. Probably like two of. <laughs> so, um, I watched the. I, I, I admittedly didn't have enough time. I, I apologize. I had a chance to watch the deleted scenes, but which whatever. Uh, but I watched the alternate ending. Okay, tell me about that. Uh, now, I yeah, I should have went. I, I remember. Okay, so um, the film just ends, like the the, re- the regular film ends with her getting away with everything, blackmailing the cops who are kind of in on it. Which was a stuff. fun. That was a fun moment. Of I faxed yeah. it to a friend. There ain't no fax machine, boss. Son of a bitch. That's my favorite delivery in the whole movie. Is his line of "son of a bitch." So, yeah, <laughs> it's almost as good as uh, Jr. Son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> it was me, Austin. It was me all along. Um. Yeah, I don't know that. that I guess that 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 scene kind of puts another problem to film I have, where it doesn't know what it wants to be tonally. Sometimes it's kind of too like trying to be goofy, funny. Sometimes it's trying to be serious. I don't know. But um, now I remember. Why, I think I'm pretty sure I watched the, the credits. So in the alternate ending, there's some post credit stuff that takes place during like intermixed between the in the credits, mm-hmm. where apparently Cherry now owns the strip club. Okay, I thought she left town. Oh yeah. yeah, she does. She's she comes into this like the scenes like I'm leaving town, guys. What's gonna happen to the strip club? She pulls out a piece of paper that says like it's like it's such a shitty like eight by ten that says title. <laughs> then, uh, then her name like in big letters like Cherry. Blah, that's not your real name, like Cherry. Everyone knows this. Hey, that's right. your brother. <laughs> your brother's last name last name is not Bomb. Nope. Yeah, his name was. Uh, uh, well, I guess his name is just Brandon. He didn't have a last yeah. name. But Brandon Bomb. I guess <laughs> she comes in, it's like, well, I own the strip club, and it's like, okay, so you're leaving, but you own it. Then she's like, go out there, make money, girls. And then one of the girls has like a bruise on her. I'm like, who did this? She says some name. She walks out there and then like smashes a glass in some guy's face, and that's the ending. Oh, okay. That's the alternate ending. Yeah. I like the original. The the ending they went with way better than that. Where it just ends. Yeah. Um, Nick Manning was a trip in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, yeah, he was my favorite part, actually. Like, he acted like someone, obviously because he comes from porn. Yes. Um, which I'm sad for him that his only, like, not porn mainstream uh, mainstream film is uh, Cherry Bomb. Oh, he was in Crank 2. Well, I think this was I think this was before Crank 2. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. No, uh, um, oh, no, because he was in, no, Crank High Voltage is 2009. Cherry Bomb okay. was made in 2010, so there you go. So, well, talk about a fucking downgrade. I was reading right. something... I was reading where that was where that was his first. Maybe I don't know. I could be maybe that's his first actual role, and he was like some side fucking shit in Crank. I forget offhand. Oh, for, oh yeah, because this, this, okay, this one says it's his first leading role. Leading which role, is true. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but he was a, he was a treat. He was like he was like I totally believed he was this owner of the CD strip club and a total asshole. Yeah, he, I loved him. Yeah, I completely agree. He was fantastic. He's my, he's my favorite part of the movie. Totally agreed. Uh, I my, one of my favorite parts of him is when he's just yelling at Bull as Bull is writing in his diary. Yeah. Put that fucking notebook Put down. Put that faggot diary down. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> faggot diary, that's right. <laughs> like, why are you so such an asshole? Like, his character is the only thing about that movie that felt 80s. I agree. Like, he, I could believe that that guy was an like a guy from 1984. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the that's movie it. is like, bleh. So, yeah, well, what, would you, what would you rate Cherry Bomb, then? Oh, uh, I think I gave it a two or a two and a half out of five. Two and a half out of five. I'd agree on a two out of five. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a little thing I picked up because I saw the cover, and it's definitely one of those movies that's trying to sell you on a cover. It has the the lead actress and like her strip gear with a leather jacket holding a shotgun, mm-hmm. and it looks like super grindhousey cover, like the you know that kind of grindhousey. It is a great cover. Picture. Yeah, I'm like I, I it, it's one of those, I gave it such a low score because the the movie that was sold to me from the cover and the stuff on the back is not the movie I got. Mm-hmm. Like on the back, it shows a, the the mo, the Mohawk lady that gets um. Like over ODs on drugs when the, when uh, Brandon yeah she's in the movie attacked. for two minutes yeah on the back it shows a picture of her riding like a motorcycle looking like a badass I don't I I should, I should double check so if someone watches the lead scenes and can correct me that's fine but like I wanted that in the movie I wanted some like badass biker lady 
doing something. Not Bull. Bull was awful. Bull was fucking awful. And I'm sure that actor um, could be good elsewhere. Oh yeah, I'm not shitting on the actor. I'm I don't I'm nothing like that. But like hit the role that was written in the role he was in. I thought it was just it was terrible in this movie. Yep. So that's uh that's our I guess that's our two cents on Cherry Bomb. Two cents on Cherry Bomb. Uh we didn't light the fuse on that cherry bomb. It did not go pop. It 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 shorted out. <laughs> okay, so I think oh. we just reached the end of the episode because that... <laughs> we did. We we shot the shit. Um, as always, guys, you can find us on our Facebook page, Movie Films with Bill and Steve. You can find us at our Tumblr, where you can find a listing of all of our episodes at moviefilmswithbillandsteve.tumblr.com. We are, of course, on iTunes. iTunes! That's convenient for people at moviefilmswithbillandsteve. We're all, I also um, have been uh, thinking about putting on YouTube, if someone wants that. I know a lot of podcasts do that, but they're just put their stuff on YouTube, and people can just listen to it or whatever. Mm. I might do that sometime. Let me know if that's something you want. Yeah, let us I'll, know. I'll post on our Facebook I'll page. you. Yeah, on our Facebook page. It's a great place. Uh, and you can also email us at moviefilmswithbillandsteve at gmail.com. And for a more personal Bill experience, you can find me on Twitter at LovableBill. And you can check out all of my films at uh, www.silverspotlightfilms.com or check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash silverspotlightfilms. You know, check out pictures, trailers, links. Uh, buy my movies. Oh, buy all of the movies. That's the best thing you could do. That's the best thing you can do. Well, as always, I've been Steve. And I've been Bill. Put down that faggot podcast and kill her! <laughs>